Yeah, that's unfortunately a bad trend that a lot of uh, celebrities and so-called yogis and even some called mystics, both in India and in the Western world, uh, have branded uh, uh, themselves using uh, asanas and practice restricted to asanas, um, which unfortunately is valuable, but it's just two to five percent of yoga because asanas give you benefit, but the benefit is minuscule compared to what the total yoga gives you. Yoga has spread around the world in modern times, and today it is seen as offering preventive, promotive, and rehabilitative solutions for various health conditions and ailments. Who could be better than a cardiologist, Kriya Yogi, to tell us more about the aspects and medical benefits of yoga? I would like to welcome Dr. Indranil Boshure, our guest for today. Dr. Boshure is a cardiologist super specialized in one of the most niche areas of uh, cardiology, the new, one of the newest branches of cardiology called interventional cardiac electrophysiology, besides having been an author, researcher, and meditator for over three decades. He's trained in medicine, cardiology, and cardiac electrophysiology from India and the US, with his US training having been at Harvard, Tulane, Texas Heart Institute, and the Baylor College of Medicine. He's one of the seven cardiologists who wrote down the practice guidelines for physicians on behalf of the American Heart Association on the role of meditation in cardiovascular diseases. Dr. Boshure is the editor of the world's first book on the role of yoga in cardiovascular diseases called The Principle and Practice of Yoga in Cardiovascular Medicine. It is written by over 75 physicians and scientists from four continents and details epidemiology, physiology, pathology, prevention and management of cardiovascular diseases based on the current understanding of yoga. I would like to welcome you, sir. Thank you very much. It is a pleasure being with you today, Mrithunjay. Uh, so we'll begin with uh, the very foundational kind of definition, one of the foundational definitions that uh, we all have heard about, uh, which is Patanjali's Yoga Sutra, uh, where he describes yoga as Chitta Vritti Nirodha, or the calming down of the fluctuations of the mind. As a doctor, what does this mean to you? I think it is really astounding that, uh, I don't know, maybe 5,000 or 6,000 years back uh, when uh, Patanjali actually wrote down the Yoga Sutras. And it is important to remember when Patanjali wrote down the Sutras, he did not find, uh, he did not, he just put them down in writing. They existed maybe a few thousands of years even before him. And at that time, they somehow understood the science. So let me explain to you the science which we know now using the latest MRI, CT scan, EEG, and you'll be astounded that how close it is to what uh, Patanjali said. And in fact, Rishi's thousands of years before Patanjali who actually discovered this, uh, this magical protocol called yoga uh, said. So like I'm talking to you, what does that mean? Light from your body comes to my eyes. Eyes is just a receptor, it's like a cup which picks up the light, takes it to my brain. If you look at my brain, the behind the back of my brain is area 18, 19. So this is the visual center. So what the eye does, it takes the light rays and puts it in area 18, 19. So if I do, if you do EEG of my brain, you'll find there are crazy waves called beta waves as if like a monkey dancing. And so, you, while looking at this wave, you think, oh my God, the brain is so active. No, actually it's just the opposite. More uh, jumping waves you have, 
more disturbance, less active the brain is. Now that I'm seeing you, my area 19, 18, 19 will start having very slow waves called the alpha waves. And that's why that part of the brain becomes sensitive and it picks up your body, your talking, your expressions, everything. So it's important to understand the slower waves is what the real brain function is. So a normal brain in a normal individual mostly has beta waves and rarely when that part of brain is active, whichever part it is, that gets alpha waves. But we have seen magical difference in meditators. They have slow waves called theta waves, called gamma waves. So now it is almost clear that people who have been meditating for many years, 20,000 um, 20, hours, 60,000 hours, they can generate gamma waves. Now, what are gamma waves? Gamma waves are extremely slow waves, but they are super powerful. Why are they super powerful? They are super powerful because they do a lot of things. They can make your brain grow. What do we mean by that? As you know, when your brain is powerful and um, after 30, 35 years of age, you lose brain cells. By the time you're 80, 35% of the population forget who they are, forget who their son is, daughter is, where do they live? They have dementia. But look at the rishis. In rishis, they have super brain. Even at 90, they have fantastic memory. Where does this come from? Because the brain grows. And you also have other magical powers. You have heard the story of Swami Vivekananda. He read a 500 pages book in a few minutes and he was asked questions from that book and he said Toto from every page. So these photogenic memory and other sort of miraculous power comes from this. Now, you might ask me all the siddhis that have been discovered or uh, described in Patanjali Yoga Sutra, does the powerful brain do this? Maybe, we don't know. But it is true that whatever we know, your brain indeed get magical. So chitta vritti nirodha means the calming down of fluctuations of the mind. So it is both fluctuation in terms of thoughts a normal brain has billions and millions of thoughts. Try sitting down, close your eyes, see what happens. You'll have millions of thoughts coming in. And in a physiological level also, as I just said, your brain is like a bunch of monkeys dancing around. But the moment you start meditating and concentrating, the brain calms down. So your brain basically is an ocean where there's a maelstrom going on with massive waves and then suddenly it calms down and you can see the bottom of the ocean, it's so calm and cool. But along with that calmness comes power too. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that's a very beautiful way of connecting uh, something we have heard for so long with uh, uh, you know, various findings that we have in contemporary times. Um, speaking of the definition of yoga, uh, there are obviously various disparate definitions. Um, one of the definitions comes up in the Brahma Sutra Bhashya uh, by Sri Adi Shankaracharya. Uh, who calls yoga atha tattva darshana bhyo yoga, or the means of perceiving reality. Uh, how do you comment on this perspective? <laughs> this is very exciting actually, and um, um, and um, it's it's really um, I mean, astounding. I get astounded more and more I read uh, um, uh, this great uh, saint, you know, who um, at such an early age, uh, conquered with his brilliance the entire Bharat. At that time, you know, Bharat was much bigger than the India we see today. You see, we, one has to understand this in a different way. So coming from the background of physics and quantum physics, you, you do understand that the whole universe 
all that we see, this table, this chair, this door, this planet, this moon, billions of galaxies. So these so-called material objects actually really doesn't exist in the real sense of the term. What do I mean by that? The whole universe is basically a quantum soup of creation and destruction going off. It is like the Shiva's dance. And that's why in the world's largest cyclotron, there is a picture, there's a model of Nataraj in front of the world's largest cyclotron where billions and millions of particles are created and destroyed every second. So the whole universe is a soup of particles appearing and disappearing. So, but we as human beings don't see it like that. Why? Had we seen things in the true sense, then life would be difficult on earth. So the creation has created us in such a way that the truth is hidden from us. And what we see is exactly what we need to know to have a normal life on earth. And this is not only true for you and me. So we as humans, we live a normal life on earth. Uh, we uh, reproduce so that we increase our species. Um, we take care of our families. We die. And the same is true for almost every animal. Even a snake takes care of its baby. Uh, it protects its, 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 its uh, smaller snakes that are produced after birth. Or it's, if it's a lion, or if it's a cat, doesn't matter. So the brain, human brain, it must be understood, has been created to serve your purpose as a human being on Earth. But the true reality is far beyond it. So how do you understand the true reality? You understand the true reality with the practice of meditation. It's very simple. Let me explain to you this. Suppose you live next to me and I go to the grocery and I buy 10 liters of milk because I need milk for my next 10 days. Suddenly next day morning, I find out that I have to take a journey somewhere else because of my office. My office sends me somewhere else. So come and knock at your door and say, hey, Mrithunjay, unfortunately, I bought a huge bunch of milk, uh, but I have to leave for my job. Would you mind taking it and using it? You say, yes. So I take the 10 liters of milk with you to you and you bring a small bowel to take that milk. You think I can give you 10 liters of milk in that small bowel? No. Similarly, human brain is that small bowel. It is not meant to understand the vastness of creation. It's not meant to understand the real, um, the real truth of the universe. So what does the brain do? Brain hallucinates and that is called controlled hallucination. It controlly hallucinates so that you get to get information that you require for a normal life on earth, but not to become a superhuman, not to become the so-called Shiva or so-called Narayana or whatever you want to name it. To do that, you practice meditation. So when you practice meditation, you slowly understand that what you see as truth is true, but is the virtual truth. For 10,000 years, we know that. Hindu philosophy said that is called Maya or the virtual truth. It's not false. It's not untruth. It is truth at a restricted level. So in this energy soup of hundreds and thousands, infinite of particles being created and destroyed every second, there is no table, there is no chair. But table chair are materials that are created because of low vibration of the same particles or same energy or bunch of waves that you see. And we have actually instance, instances in our um, history of people showing this. For example, I don't know if you know this story. 
actually it's not a story, it's a real incident. One of the very close disciple of um, um, Swami Vivekananda once were nagging to him and said, Swamiji, you always say that this is virtual reality. Uh, so then what is the reality? So um, Swami Vivekananda would just uh, avoid the question, but one day uh, he said, okay, I'll show you what the reality is. So he touches this person's head and suddenly he sees everything vanishes, you know, table, chair, houses, everything vanishes and the whole universe is an ocean of vibrations going on, you know, millions of particles being created and destroyed every second. So he was like stunned. So that's the power of Vivekananda because once you get that powerful brain, you slowly come to understand the universe. That's why sadhus say, that's why monks say, that's why Hindu philosophy says that through the practice of meditation, you, you get to understand the reality. The world of maya or illusion is slowly lifted. But remember, for that you need a brain which cannot be as small like a human brain. You have to have a more powerful brain and that power comes through years of practice of meditation and yoga. And, and that's a, a beautiful thought in the sense that, you know, the idea of self-similarity, right? I mean, what, what is universal uh, is also localized and is accessible. Uh, given the right kind of sadhana, the right amount of sadhana and, you know, the, the will, the, the hunger for getting there essentially, um, which is very important in these practices. Um, yoga has become quite popular lately, especially in the West. Um, however, the yoga as is perceived by many modern practitioners um, is often seen as a collection of exercises or rituals, something at variance with this much more comprehensive and sophisticated system of well-being. Uh, when we talk about it, it from the point of view of ancient Indian yogis, uh, or the way we have looked at it from our uh, own tradition, essentially. So what do you think are the pros and cons of um, this trend? And how do we work with and around it if we do? <laughs> Yeah, that's unfortunately a bad trend that a lot of uh, celebrities and so-called yogis and even some called mystics, both in India and in the Western world, uh, have branded uh, uh, themselves using uh, asanas and practice restricted to asanas, um, which unfortunately is valuable, but it's just two to 5% of yoga because asanas give you benefit, but the benefit is minuscule compared to what the total yoga gives you. The problem is there's, the, the, there's a complete lack of knowledge on part of these group of so-called yoga celebrities who have unfortunately, unknowingly maybe, have rendered a super powerful protocol that's called yoga that completely changes body and mind uh, and takes you into a superhuman proposition and has rendered it to a mere few exercises on the mat. See, you have to understand this. It's multiple studies have clearly shown the landmark effect of yoga, including it makes us, it ameliorates stress. It brings down stress. It can cause massive changes in abnormal genes. It will cure abnormal emotional states like anxiety, depression. Um, and also you have to understand this, all this abnormal mental state stress causes disease. The world's largest killer is cardiovascular disease. Cardiovascular disease kills twice the number of patients than, than, than the second largest killer that is cancer. And most of these diseases is initiated by stress. And you, another important thing to understand is despite massive development in technology, massive development in modern medicine, discovering newer medicines every day, that has not stemmed the number of death. Almost 70% of people dying 
in any country in the world is from coronary artery disease or heart disease. So yoga is the only powerful way to, do, to prevent this. Even the best medicine cannot help you out. Yes, best medicine might bring down your chance of dying, but if you want to keep yourself healthy and away from heart disease, you have to go for uh, uh, for integrative, what you call integrative medicine or lifestyle medicine that is yoga. And yoga is the most practiced integrative medicine in the world. So the, the way to go around this is to give education, make people understand, do scientific discourse on yoga. Tell people that yoga is not just standing on the top of your head. Practice of yoga, particularly when used as a therapy needs basic understanding of the philosophy. Because if you don't understand the philosophy, you'll render yoga to be a practice on the mat. I have a friend of mine, I remember, who's a physician also, and that's how misinformation spread. I mean, one day we just met and he said, Dr. Basare, I listen to you. I, I am a close follower of yours and I do yoga regularly. So I said, oh, that's cool. When do you do it? Um, uh, so he said, well, between 4 to 5 p.m., I mean, every day, even if there's tsunami, I still go to the uh, to do my yoga. So you know what I told him? So I said, my friend, so between 4 to 5, you will not have any heart disease. So you're keeping 20 out of 24 hours, you're protecting yourself for one hour. Rest of the 23 hours, you're at risk. Because you have to understand that Yoga is not sitting on the mat. Yoga is something you practice 24 7, 365. Because if I am doing yoga just for one hour, the rest of the 23 hours, I'm stressed out because of my job. I'm stressed out because of problems at home, and which is normal. I mean, if you're born on earth, you live on earth, you're going to have some problem or the other. The question is not, not having the problem, but how to go through the problem without stressing. And in turn, the stressing, what that causes, it causes damage. It causes damage to your heart. It causes damage to your brain, uh, resulting in heart attack, stroke, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, and of course, accelerated aging. So this is such a new concept that you have to understand that uh, we now know there's almost a new concept in biology called chronological aging or biological aging. What does that mean? What that means is that through successful practice of yoga throughout the day, staying in meditation, staying in mindfulness, you will be able to get rid of stress completely. When you get rid of stress, there'll be less inflammation. There's less inflammation, you'll not be aged. You'll, you'll damage your heart less, you'll damage your brain less. So a 70 year old man might have a body which is just 40 years old because his machine is better. It's just like a car. You have a car which you drive well, you take care of it. It may have gone 200,000 miles and still the car is as brand new. So a human body is just like that. On the other hand, you might have a car which you treated badly. You didn't take care of it. You didn't repair it properly. It might have just gone 50,000 miles and it's a wreck. So it's the same happens with the human body. And yoga is the mechanism by which you keep this human body functioning to the best without having diseases, without having de death and destruction, as long as you want to achieve your career goals, to achieve your life goals or whatever you want. 
And this is the science of yoga, which people have to understand rather than thinking, oh, it's just another exercise. Let me go to the mat and practice some half an hour of yoga, standing on my head, twisting my body, breaking my legs. That's not yoga. You know, that could be a monkey dance. Unfortunately, that's not really yoga. Um, it's interesting you mentioned about, um, you know, the idea of education, but a fundamental question that comes up often is, um, so yoga obviously, uh, or rather yoga has these correlations with specific dimensions of human beings. Um, so the process begins with the body, for instance, and the breath, um, the mind and the inner self subsequently. Uh, in today's age, it is at best kept to the first few maybe and devoid of the higher stages. Uh, particularly the understanding of one's inner self, um, you know, meditation, as well as going, you know, beyond Haran uh, Dhyan and, uh, well, Samadhi is something which is um, uh, quite difficult to attain. Uh, yet, this is something that is kept away from the discourse. Um, part of it is pro probably because of cynicism, part of it is because of not understanding completely or relating to that uh, entirely. Uh, so, is this a case of if we were to give them education, is this a case of taking the horse to the pool, uh, but it not, you know, having the water because it doesn't quite relate to what is being, uh, you know, offered or what is being understood at those stages? And how do we cross that? Because we're talking about a stage where uh, empiricism, for instance, or things that we relate to in day-to-day -day life uh, may not, you know, uh, remain in the way they do in other cases, in the first few stages of yoga, for instance. Uh, so how do we connect with them? How do we make them relate to these you know, truths and realities as such in the higher stages of yoga? The core point is that, uh, first of all, <clears throat> people should be told what yoga is right. and right. what the practice are. Right. A lot of people tell it in a way it sounds very esoteric and very difficult to achieve. Uh, I don't know who said it, but I, I'm told Einstein said it that if something appears very complex in nature, that means you haven't understood it. So nature is never complex. Similarly, yoga is never complex. I don't understand something when I'm being asked to make it, make you understand it, I'll put it in such a way as, oh, it's so complex, you don't even understand it. So that is true with most cases and particularly in case of yoga. So you have to understand that Staying young, being 90 or 100 years of age, still staying young, having a super powerful brain with fantastic memory, never getting heart disease, never getting cancer. These are automatic things that you will get when you practice yoga. You don't even have to aim for that because yoga is much more than that. It's almost like saying, um, I mean, you pay me a few thousand dollars to take you on a cruise to Jamaica or to Hawaii and I take you to a beach and I, and I show you the tide where you can get your legs wet, you know? It's like that. It's like asking from yoga to keep you healthy. That's automatic. You don't even have to try doing that. So you have to, one has to first understand what yoga is about. And that's where I think I'm lucky that I had some of the most powerful gurus in this universe. And not only gurus, gurus who are not uh, remaining, who are who have not remained uh, dark and esoteric and uh, blatantly religious, but not scientific. Most of gurus in our lineage is extremely believe completely in science because in Hindu philosophy, you have to understand that it's nothing to do with religion, but Hindu philosophy has science first and then philosophy, unlike a lot of other philosophies where science and philosophy and religion fought with each other. There was time when Galileo almost went to the gallows because he said that earth was uh, just one of the planets going around the sun. 
but it has been opposite for us because we are lucky to be uh, in a philosophy where everything is scientific. It's true that a lot of things in uh, philosophy, in Hindu philosophy may not be accepted by science today, um, but that's okay. Maybe tomorrow, maybe day after tomorrow, maybe after 200 years. So even the concept that the whole world is um, an illusion was complete nonsense. People thought this is some uh, illogical philosophical nonsense. And now we know it is not. That is what the science even quantum phys physics is saying. So things slowly change. So one has to understand what yoga is all about. So in Hindu philosophy, yoga is an exercise for fastening your evolution. Hindu philosophy says you have multiple births on this earth and in, through this multiple birth, you gather enough energy, then you stop taking birth in this material plane. So yoga does that. So what we need to do is not only have people who understand yoga, because you have to understand this. People who discovered yoga, and suddenly, as you know, and all of us know, it's not Patanjali. Patanjali was the um, sage who first wrote down the yoga treatise, but it has been discovered by sages thousands of years before him, understood this. So they, in my, uh, my term, you might say, they're the actual scientist. So common people misunderstand that. Common people tell me, how can they be scientists? They didn't do research in a lab. I said, absolutely. I said, which lab did uh, Tesla do a research that made him discover uh, alternate current? Nothing, it just came to his brain one day. When Einstein came out with the concept of gravity, which lab did he work? He did not. Arthur Eddington, almost 30 years after Einstein said that, discovered that light was actually bending. So things are proved way beyond when they are discovered. So these rishis are actually scientists. The difference in they didn't have to sit down in a lab to work there, but their brain was the lab. And as we were talking sometime back, when you practice meditation for a long, long time, you, be, you start getting a super powerful brain. You tend to understand the mechanism, how the universe works. And through that, you really become a scientist. So scientist doesn't have to be somebody um, just like Tesla or uh, Einstein, who whose thought process gave us new concepts rather than working in a lab like say Marie Curie. I'm not uh, degrading anybody. Both are equally important. You know, working in a lab is equally important as people who have thoughts and uh, give new, new new ideas. But having said that, it is important to understand this. Now, you have made a very pertinent point. In my day-to-day -day life, how is that important? It is not important, and nobody is saying that it is important. That's what our rishi said. Our rishi said is, you want to have a good life. You want to be stay uh, disease-free you want to contribute back to this earth, which has given you so much, just do that. Whether that decreases your birth, uh, fastens your evolution, you don't know, I don't know. Being a scientist, physician, I have no proof it does. So that doesn't change anything. Does it change anything? No, if something can keep me healthy, something can prevent me from having a disease, something that can prevent me from having dying early, at 56 years of age, a billionaire, Steve Jobs dies of cancer. So the question is that, and, and this is true for millions of others. We know Steve Jobs, that's what you and I know about him. There are millions like that who are dying. I have a friend of mine who at the age of 26 had three vessel bypass surgery because of stress in India. 
So the question is, I mean, when I was in medical school, I never heard anybody who was 25, 30 years old having lung cancer. Today I'm seeing random people at that age having lung cancer all over the world. So it doesn't matter whether yoga will actually foster your evolution or make you a god. I don't really care. But what it does is it keeps you healthy. And that is more important than anything else. Because today you have to understand that health is the root cause of economic devastation. In America, the number one cause of getting economically devastated is health. If you have a cancer in your house, if you have a heart disease in your house, that is the number one cause, not because you lost your company or you, you made losses in your business, but just for health reason. And I guess the same is for many other countries like India too because the support mechanism for some of the countries are even worse than what we have in America. Despite that, you have families which are completely ruined economically just because of having cancer or heart disease in their family. And I think the, the, that message about uh, it being utilitarian in a certain way, it being it having an effect, it having a benefit of sorts, um, and the the questions beyond, right? I mean, as, as important as it may be or not for, for some, um, that kind of does not take away from what it kind of helps with, essentially. And I think that is a very pertinent uh, point uh, that you uh, put forward, sir. Mm -hmm.